the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. I always look forward to these uh, alternate Fridays where we get to be joined, delighted to be joined by Pete Peterson, the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu, grad school that uh, you can trust and entrust uh, your children, your grandchildren, or yourself going to and learning at if you are interested in going back to school or if they're looking for graduate programs in public policy. I am. heartily endorse them, support them. And I love Pete Peterson, their dean, who is with us on the road in Southern California. How are you, Pete? Great, Seth. Great to be back with you. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you. My producer told me something, and I didn't verify it, but is it true you actually barbecued a turkey on Thanksgiving? You barbecued one? Yes, that's right. This was my my second attempt. The first one actually went pretty well, but yes, did the full overnight brining. Got up at about five o'clock in the morning and and put the turkey, pulled it out of the brine and into the onto the grill for a good uh, six hours, and uh, came out just just terrific. Do you have so, it on a rotisserie a, on the grill, or I mean, do you keep flipping the bird? How how the heck? How do you how do you do it on the grill for six hours? Well, it's it's actually pretty straightforward. Uh, I've got one of these pellet grills where you can set the temperature, uh, uh. Um, and and so you set it at a fairly low grade, around two or two fifty, and you put it in a, one of these aluminum trays that you can kind of disposable aluminum oh, trays sure. that you can buy for uh, cooking larger birds. But you can put that just lock, stock, and barrel onto the grill. And just leave it there. It essentially smokes, but it obviously also uh, barbecues over time. And uh, yeah, you, once you put it on, get it on the grill, it's just kind of checking the internal temperature of the bird. But it, it goes on there for a good five or six hours. I just want to give the audience a little lesson in semantics. If you're looking to find out if someone is a conservative, if they say disposable aluminum tray. You have a pretty good idea they're a conservative. <laughs> I knew Pete. <laughs> do you remember David Souter? Yeah. Do you remember David Souter, the Supreme oh, Court course. justice yeah. that was kind of got yeah. the job because of the mystery of him, or at least the yeah. lack of record? I remember a profile yeah. of uh, on him in the Washington Post, and they someone was describing uh, walking with him in a store as he was looking for dolphin-safe tuna. And I knew at that point we had a problem. Dolphin-safe tuna is fine, but when you're making people understand and it known that that's what you're looking for, you're going to have a problem. (laughs) Okay, but if you're talking about disposable aluminum trays, Pete, (laughs) I got your number, baby. That's the modern technology right there. I I got your number. I got your number. All right, more interesting, or as interesting. Man does not live by uh, intellect alone. As interesting. Tell me about the intellectual pursuit you're on your way to right now. Yeah, really excited. I've been invited to give the keynote address to um, a group of uh, students associated with YAF, Young America's uh, Freedom Foundation, up at uh, 
the Ronald Reagan Ranch Center. I'm sure many of your listeners know of the Ronald Reagan Ranch. Yeah. But YAF also happens to run a museum meeting space right in downtown Santa Barbara as well. And so the ranch, which is about a 15 or 20-minute drive north of Santa Barbara, is, is, of course, one spot, and I could not encourage that visit anymore. That's just an amazing place to get a sense of Reagan. But they also have this office and meeting space and museum space uh, right in downtown Santa Barbara, and that's where I'm headed to give a talk tonight on thinking historically in challenging times. Is the is the topic of my talk historic and challenging times? I was thinking uh, I, you and I talked last time. I, we'll get to those in a moment. What you're going? I'd love a, an outline, but you know, just verbally as you're thinking about it. But before we get there, you know, last time we visited before the holiday, I think it was Pete. We were talking about old books we were rereading uh, as adults, yep. you know, from our youth. And I was rereading a, a, a biography of the Goldwater campaign in 64, written actually by William Buckley. And he mm. said, you know, in retrospect, to make this happen and to create a new movement, we needed – I'm actually – I have the book in front of me. I'm quoting. We needed, for instance, a youth movement. And so we founded right. Young Americans for Freedom. We needed a yep. national political figure around whom to consolidate. So we transfigured Barry Goldwater. But that, that youth movement – crucially important, yeah. and the people who are running the Ranch uh, Foundation are the legatees of that, aren't they? That's right. Um, they really run some terrific programs, and to the point that Buckley is making, one of the things that actually makes me a little bit optimistic about where we are regarding conservatives in academia, which I know is a topic we touch on a lot, has been the radical growth and increase of these essentially parallel institutions within academia, conservative student organizations and faculty organizations that at least provide a place of respite, learning, and encouragement uh, for conservative students and faculty members, uh, both at the high school level and, uh, and obviously in college as well. You know, that's exactly right. And we need those because we used to have them in institutions called colleges and universities, period. Right. <laughs> right? Right. 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 We used yeah, to have no, those in these odd things yeah. called colleges and universities. When they stopped doing their job, we needed what James Madison called auxiliary precautions, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very well said. I, and I think that, you know, we talked Maybe an opening time. line that a Phoenix radio host might get credit for. In your speech tonight? Uh, anyway, go on, go on. Very possible, okay. very possible. Okay. No, but we talked last time about the University of Austin. Yeah, and right. I think, again, this is of a piece yeah. of uh, conservative philanthropy that is getting more deeply engaged now that they've become much more aware of the costs of letting academia slide so far to the left. They're seeing now that, you know, what happens on campus doesn't stay on That's campus. That's right. That's right. And so we're starting to see more support for these organizations like YAF you and Turning Point, which is yep. obviously based down in the Phoenix area yep. by you, yep. um, ISI and College Republicans and so forth. But you're also beginning to see support for new institutions and even graduate programs like ours at the Policy School at Pepperdine. Yes, that's exactly right. I was I was going to move that in that direction actually for for a moment. There are a handful of places 
first among them yours, Pepperdine School of Public Policy, where it's still true of the college and the university that they can be uh, depositories uh, of, of, of calm conversation and learning and intellectual uh, pursuit. Of course that's true. It's just that when they used to be the – schools like yours used to be the majority. They're now in the very distinct right. minority. Fair enough? Very good. Yes, fair. The other thing I would hope, uh, if I can, special pleading now uh, that you might talk to the audience about, it's an old line from Martin Luther King because I'm a big fan of all these organizations. I love them. They're so crucial and so important for a lot of reasons, including students knowing they're not alone. You know, to to to, yes. to congregate, I mean, they have these thoughts. They have the schooling. They have this education. It's true of students as well as adults. It's so important for them to know they're not crazy because the culture or even the rest of academia is telling them they're. Crazy. It's important for them to know they're not. You know, through the through the work of of community. But it's also uh, important that we go beyond right beyond the um, beyond the uh, the chorus. Martin Luther King used to say the most important part of church is what you do when you leave. It's great to yeah. listen to Pete Peterson. Now go do something about it. And I know that's the Pepperdine yeah, charge, right? You'll give that charge tonight, yeah. won't you? Absolutely. Um, I, and I uh, couldn't agree more about the importance of community and the role that these kinds of organizations play. But at the same time, you can't stay there. Uh, and obviously, for many of these students, these are really islands, oases yeah. in a sea of very contrary uh, teachings yeah. and, and broader cultures. Yeah. And so um, it's obvious that these students, after they come away from a weekend that they're going to experience up here in Santa Barbara, they're going back into uh, places that, that uh, in which they are, uh, if not all alone, certainly uh, in a minority in thinking the way they do. Defense, uh, defense uh, witness, um, def- defense witness number uh, thirty-eight in understanding <laughs> that it's harder to be a conservative than not in America. It is. It, it's, it that, takes it takes more true. work, and it's true on the colleges as well as it is in our professional. Huh? What are you going to? Uh, oh, here I go. I got to take the commercial break. When we come back, can you give us an overview yep. of the kinds of things you're going to talk about tonight? Would love to. I'd love to have you do it. Pete Peterson on his way to give a speech at the Reagan Ranch Foundation. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu, where you don't need speeches on what Ronald Reagan spoke about. You just have to understand the kinds of people that helped found that school and the kinds of people that Reagan listened to when he was in office and the kinds of people that surrounded him. I had mentioned earlier James Q. Wilson in our discussion on crime. He's one of the people that helped inspire the Pepperdine School of Public Policy as well. Pete Peterson will be with us when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have Pete Peterson with us. Really privileged and honored. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy on his way to give a talk at the Reagan Ranch Foundation. Uh, Pete, the title again and some of the thoughts circulating around uh, in your mind about what you want to communicate to those uh, young minds this afternoon, this evening. Well, thanks, Seth. Yeah, the title of my talk is Thinking Historically in Challenging Time. Good. And it might be worth noting that the keynote, which kicks off the event uh, tonight, is meant to lead into uh, another full day tomorrow for these students in which they're going to hear from people, uh, immigrants from 
uh, former uh, communist and Soviet bloc countries about their experiences in growing up in uh, and under communism. And so one of the cautions that I'm going to try to offer to the students tonight is that when they hear these stories from people who've actually lived under communism, their natural reaction is going to be to try to distance themselves from those stories to even to say, well, I'm glad that I didn't grow up in that. And if I lived in those conditions, I might have reacted differently or whatever the case might be. But the concept of thinking historically uh, very much derives from the historian Neil Ferguson's concept of applied history, Mm. in that unless you can really get into the lives and perspectives of those who are living at the time, uh, you're really not doing yourself a service to understand how people live under systems that were much different than yours. And in so doing, you develop a deeper appreciation for for the country that we live in, while at the same time understanding that it was real human beings that had to endure uh, living under totalitarian communism. I'm motivated to think about three, three, little, three, three items as you say that, Pete. And the first is the power of the personal story. It was one thing to communicate the evils of tyranny, particularly communism, in the long twilight struggle that we went through against it. But it was really once people like the dissidents, like Solzhenitsyn or whatever, could come here and tell the personal story or could write it. That right. that I think the uh, the the death knell started to be sounded for it. Whitaker Chambers. In his book, Witness was describing what every ex he says what every ex communist can talk about, which is the screams. That's what led them to be. At one night, they heard screams, and and people, you know, raised in the West, that whether it's Nazism or communism, they kind of yeah. fool themselves into this notion that it can't happen here, happen. right? I don't know why. Right. There's nothing magic about geography and communism or geography and Nazism. There really isn't right. anything. It's it, these are not ideologies that concern themselves with geography. It can happen right. anywhere. And you raise and you raise Solzhenitsyn. I'm going to be quoting from him Good. at several points Good. in the talk tonight because part of what he is speaking to, and we discussed this a little bit last time yeah. um, when right. we were talking about his "Live Not by Lies." Oh, the Rod Dreher book. That's right. To, right. 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 And but also Solzhenitsyn's original letter mm-hmm. to essentially his countrymen, just uh, as he was about to be exiled uh, from the former Soviet Union. So much of what he writes about is the ability to take the little step and be courageous in not living uh, by the lies, Mm -hmm. not accepting them, not internalizing them. And in this, we begin to pivot a bit in thinking historically or applied history to see if there are resonances certainly not of the same scope and scale as to what people experienced under totalitarian communism, but are there elements, as Dreyer points out in his book, in this current cancel culture climate where speech and free thought and basic civil rights are being attacked um, in ways by a culture that really has put guardrails over what's acceptable speech and unacceptable speech. Right. And so where I hope to get with these students is get to a place where when they hear the stories tomorrow, they don't just disconnect and say to themselves how even even the best case that they that they're glad that they live where they live, but also just just to be aware of what are the signs that we're beginning to see that we at least um 
need to be suspicious and aware. You know, um, that's powerful. And this notion that it can't happen here or that it's not so bad or this was a one-off in history a long, long time ago in a galaxy we never knew. We've been going through a lot of stuff here at our university, our flagship university in in Phoenix, Arizona State, on on a bunch of levels. Uh, One of the protagonists is an organization called Students for Socialism at ASU. And and if you go to their Twitter page, which has a lot of followers, if you go to their Twitter page, they tell you who they are. I'll just read it to you. Students for Socialism at ASU is a socialist revolutionary Marxist club. Our mission is to end capitalism and fight for socialism. It's going on now. This is not this is not from some yep. yellow tinged book that your dad or granddad had on his bookshelves. It's here yep. if you want it, and it's here if you want to fight it. Well, and again, that's I think what's so important about what Yaf is doing yes. here, which is to say it's at one point important to understand the history. It's another thing to look at the specific elements of totalitarianism to understand how these movements begin, while at the same time knowing that these kids are of a generation, and I'm going to quote some survey data, one of the survey responses in a Gallup survey was this Gen Z, um, this Gen Z demographic, over 50% have a favorable view of socialism. Right, right. And again, most of it is because it's being disconnected from the actual history yeah and system of government that an economy that socialism and communism were the important thing though especially as you mentioned that we're seeing this these growing student movements in support of socialism is to continue to tell the true stories and as well as make sure that students are aware of what are the other cultural aspects within totalitarianism what dreyer calls soft totalitarianism that we need to be concerned about here. Nicely put. And of course, you know, Ronald Reagan was consumed with the notion of the unfolding of history. Um, His calling card line about freedom is fragile and never more than one generation away from extinction. It goes on to talk about uh, that, how you have to constantly teach people the importance of freedom. And that was kind of his intro to the political scene as a conservative. He first gave that speech in 1961. He closed his presidency in his final address to the nation, you know, in, from the Oval yeah. Office, to, uh, pleading with Americans to do a better yeah. job of teaching their kids history. This this was continually on his mind throughout his entire career, right? So true, so true. And again, I think what's so important about doing it at this place is that unlike the Reagan Library, the Reagan Ranch is really, it's not a museum. It's a place where you really see who Reagan was and the value that he placed on freedom. Um, And so I'm really excited about giving this talk tonight. You should be, and I hope you understand the value uh, you bring to this show, Pete. We love having you. Drive safely, speak well, break a leg figuratively, as they say, and uh, (laughs) let us know how it goes. If there's video, I'd love to see it. But God bless you, sir. Godspeed. Thanks so much, Seth. Okay, Pete Peterson, you you betcha. I'm Seth Liebson. Your show from here on out, 602-508-0960, is how you're not supposed to say it. 602-508-0960 is how you are. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. There's Doug in Maricopa. Hello, Doug. How the heck are you, Seth? I'm doing just fine. How are you? I'm doing great. Enjoying your show. It's stellar as usual. Thanks. And um, I just wanted to relate something because you you were talking a little bit earlier about uh, how the Democrats and the liberals always say that uh, there's causation, that poverty causes violence, and uh, and it's not. And I told this story on your show about a year and a half ago, but I think it needs to be told again. And it's about all, all education lessons. is repetition. I'm I'm totally oh, it in, is. yeah no <laughs> right <laughs> right right it is it is yeah it is. My dad told me things over and over yeah. now that uh, I find totally to be true. Yeah, uh, my dad lived to be about uh, two months shy of a hundred, oh. and um, he was born in 19, <clears throat> 1909. He was fifty years old when I was born, and uh, died back in nineteen oh nine. But Here's the thing. One of the last lessons he taught me was a few months before he passed. I was over visiting him. We were watching 60 Minutes, and they were talking about the violence in Chicago and how it's all this poverty causes all this violence. And uh, my dad just was sitting there, and he was a dear, sweet man, very spiritual, very kind, very powerful. But he said, BS. He, He said the full thing. And I just looked at him, and I go, hey, Pop, I haven't heard you swear in five years. And so you got to tell me about this. And I turned down the television. And he said, "Let me tell you something." He said, "I was I was twenty, uh, I was twenty years old when the uh, Great Depression started, and he was twenty uh, two years old at the height of the Depression, nineteen thirty two. There were times that their family boiled wallpaper start uh, wallpaper paste just to fill their bellies. He had an ulcer." in his early 20s from bad food like that. They, they t- thought in terms of filling their bellies. Their next-door neighbor lost their house because they missed one month's payment, and they put them up in their garage. Their garage was a barn, basically. Mm-hmm. They put a Model A in, dirt floor with ruts into it that the air could blow under because it was a half a foot off the ground. Sat around a fire, trying to stay warm, freezing in Milwaukee. Okay, one Uncle Gilbert talks about the time Dad was so hungry that he went into a a restaurant. He said it was the only thing he ever stole in his life, and it wasn't really stealing. He pretended he was going to order something so that the waitress brought water so he could squeeze some ketchup into Uh, the water to uh, have something uh, in his belly. uh, uh, That's hunger. Yeah. He found a nickel. He had to decide... If he was going to take the trolley home 13 miles, instead he bought five pounds of rotten bananas, and he ate them while he walked home. Gilbert said he found them two miles from home, throwing up on the ground because he just wanted something in his belly. Mm -hmm. But here's the important thing. That's hunger. Everybody was in the same boat. Mm -hmm. They never had to lock their doors. Mm-hmm. The idea that they or their neighbors would violate the another person was foreign to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was no violence. His sister, he said, in a big city like Milwaukee, could walk through the Hispanic section or the Italian section or the black section of town home from Friday night basketball on a you know late Friday night and walk by herself and be safe. Mm, mm, Poverty, mm. 
That is poverty. We have, there, we live, um, our poor live at a level that they can't even imagine back then. And in that kind of poverty, the humility and the grace and the dignity these people did that with, they didn't lock their doors in the big city. Yeah. Yeah. That, I'm glad you did tell that story. Um, people don't know that. They don't know about those times. They don't know about those ethics. Uh, no. I want to I want to I want to say something about that when we come back. I want to say something a little more uh, a little more deeply and a little more fulsomely about the issue of poverty and crime. It's it's become, Doug, just an almost automatic thought that crime is driven by it. And it's just not true. It's just not true. Um, no, no, it's, no. it's, it's, and, and, it's one it's of these myths that will not die. We live with myths. You know, we live not yes. by lies. We're yes. supposed to be living not by lies. We live with them. We do live with them. That's right. That's right. Stay, stay tuned. Uh, thank you for that contribution as well. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We'll be right back. I'm sorry to do this. I wanted to talk. I'll get back to crime in just a moment. I was looking at a CNN headline. Omicron could become the dominant variant. But Delta is the problem now, CDC director says. <laughs> How do you deal with this, Bill? Let's panic on what we have here and know well, citizens, that once it's dealt with, if it's dealt with or not, if it or isn't dealt with, we have the other one waiting for us. We, we have suits in all sizes. We have COVID in all and pan, panic and, and fear in all sizes. Omicron could become the dominant variant, but Delta is the problem now. This comes as uh, New Jersey, uh, the state of New Jersey, the governor of New Jersey, just confirmed its first the first case of Omicron in New Jersey. Um, I want again just take a moment and step back and think about what the likelihood of dying from COVID is and the likelihood of hospitalization from COVID is. Okay, just start there. Start there. And then ask yourself, when's the last time a single case of something with a 99% survival rate made national and international news in a single state? So, of course, this uh, this person who has it, we wish them, obviously, all, all good health and, and speedy recovery. But it's the governor of New Jersey, who, Phil Murphy, who has me confused, but maybe not very one, anyone else. This person who has it in um, New Jersey, the story on that person says they're fully vaccinated. So let me read you the tweet from Phil Murphy, the governor of New Jersey. Quote, we have confirmed our first case of the Omicron variant in New Jersey. There is no reason for alarm, but it is vital that residents remain as vigilant as possible. Get vaccinated, get boosted, wear a mask. And at some point, I'm just hoping that we have enough serious students educated at places like Pepperdine or Hillsdale or maybe four other colleges and public policy we could name if we had to, that actually connect the problem to the policy, that actually connect the objective to 
the process. C.S. Lewis, you've heard me quote this a bunch lately. I, you know, you just find what, what's the quote that explains our age. Just pick up a C.S. Lewis book and you'll find it in any given chapter. This one I prefer, I like from the screw tape letters on this notion. Omicron is, is coming to get you, and, um, and so you must be vaccinated. You must get a vaccine. But the people who have gotten it are fully vaccinated, okay? The use of fashions in thought is to distract men from their real dangers. We direct the fashionable outcry of each generation against those vices of which it is in least danger and fix our approval on the virtue that is nearest the vice which we are trying to make endemic. The game is to have them all running around with fire extinguishers whenever there's a flood. That's what we're doing, running around with fire extinguishers in the time of a flood. Running around. Notice what he calls it. It's the fashion in thought. It is a new fashion in thought. And I don't know what more to say about it. I don't know really what more to say about it. But I suppose if you have a broken red light on Camelback and 32nd Street, you don't have a very good management of the city when the objective is to replace all the lights on Indian School and 32nd. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing, where the problem isn't. Okay. Crime. I didn't know that we were going to focus as much as we were on it, but I'm glad that we did. Jen Psaki and Joe Biden have blamed the rise in crime on uh, COVID as the root cause. It's an awfully powerful disease, this COVID, isn't it? Root cause of so many, many things, not just corona-like illness, but crime. Crime. It's not the root cause. New York Post writes that the problem is blue states that have removed the consequences for crime via measures like bail reform, lower penalties and higher thresholds for felonies and assorted legal handcuffs on cops. When people were breaking the law throughout all of last year in riots that led to over 14,000 arrests and over 30 deaths, homicides... We had the leadership of this country, not the leadership then, although they were in office then, at least the vice president was a U.S. senator then, raising funds to bail those people out. What message is sent there on that crime? We had police chiefs resigning en masse because their mayors and communities would not stand up for them. We had fire bombings of courthouses that were justified by Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Woke prosecutors refuse to investigate crimes and charge criminals. Judges offer convicts lenient sentences and set them free all together. I can think of six people in Waukesha who'd be alive today if that weren't true. California's passed Proposition 47. You got criminal crime problems in, in California? You ever hear about any crime problems? L.A., San Francisco, Oakland? Changed crimes like shoplifting and grand theft from felonies to misdemeanors. Raiding a store for goods valued at less than 1000 bucks became just a misdemeanor. Just a misdemeanor. And now people are talking about, well, maybe we need to think about the broken windows theory again. You broke the window. I'm all for it, but you broke 
the window. That is the point of broken windows, going after small crimes, not redefining large crimes as small crimes. I don't know whether to reread C.S. Lewis or A Confederacy of Dunces. Honest to God, I don't. We'll be right back. Thanks for uh, spending some of your afternoon with us. If you missed my monologue um, or any part of the show, you can always get them at 960thepatriot.com. That's 960thepatriot.com. And uh, I, I guess one of the things I wanted to close the show with today is back to the importance of books. Sorry, is that making too much noise? I was just crumpling something up. Back to the importance of old books that you were impacted by as a young person or maybe you knew you were supposed to understand or read as a young person and because of distractions or other obligations or just because you were a young person you didn't take it all seriously or even if you thought you did. If there's that book in your mind, I can't urge you enough to reread it. I have had no such pleasure in a mem- in recent memory as I have lately rereading some of the oldies that I don't think I appreciated enough when they were assigned to me or when I was told I needed to read them when I was younger. I'm going to share some of what I've picked up with you from some of these old classics next week. It's a good time to think about them, especially as you're thinking about gifts in this holiday season, Hanukkah, Christmas. Is there a better gift than a book? There is one better gift than a book. I was given it. We put up our Christmas tree today here at the uh, – we didn't. Diane, the great Diane here, put up our Christmas tree here at the uh, at the studio. And the first ornament she put on was a gift given to me by our general manager – Jim Ryan, which is a Sasquatch ornament. So when I say there is no better gift than a book, that's almost true. There's no better gift than a book outside of a Sasquatch ornament. Folks, it's nice to have a little levity with you and to do everything we do together. Until tomorrow. Well, no, not tomorrow. Until Monday. God bless and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.